It's only by and through his grace that he brought you through. It's only by and through his grace that you are who you are. It's only by his grace that you actually have power. For Jesus tells us in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And the words of Jesus goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest on me. And he's talking about this grace. And he goes on to say, for the sake of Christ then, I, I am content with my weaknesses. You content being weak, Paul? Insults? Paul, you, you content when people insult you? Hardships? Paul, you are content? In your hardships, persecutions, Paul, you, you mean that you're content when people are coming up against you? Calamities, Paul, when, when all hells broke loose in your life, you still are grateful for grace? And he says why? He says, for when I am weak, then he is strong. Do you know anything about grace? Grace allows you to show up on Sunday morning without it all together. Grace reminds us that, we, that we're broken and it's okay to be broken. Corinthians 15.10 tells us, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But he goes on to say, but his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. You ain't working, you ain't doing nothing for Jesus. Yet not I. For the grace of God that is in me. The scriptures make it clear it's all by grace, through grace, and in grace. It allows us to know and to understand that his grace is truly, truly sufficient. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise into our Worship team for leading us this morning. Let me pray for us and we will jump right in. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for being so amazing, for being so wonderful, so mighty. And as we come right now to the moment of preaching, 
May you please give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May you allow your Holy Spirit to fall fresh upon us that the cares of this world would fall off and fall away. And that we will be only focused on you right now. May we bask in your grace that comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. May you give us a deeper understanding of the love that you have for us as the word declares. Because of grace, may you cause our love to abound more and more. Knowledge and all discernment. Father, give us discernment this morning. To hear not the voice of this world, but the voice of Christ speaking to us. Whispering sweet nothings in our ears as we look into your word. And Father, I beg and I ask that whatever issues of life may be ailing us, haunting us, distracting us this morning, that we would just cast those cares upon you. Because you do care for us. So Father, I ask right now that you would do the impossible and you would cause our hearts to love you, to be transformed from the inside out. Father, I beg that you would take my brokenness, my weakness, and all of my inability, and you would use it through the power of Christ to preach your word. Please take my foolish words that mean nothing to magnify yourself. You are everything. May you be with us. May you speak, for we are listening. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to each and every one of you to this church gathered at Forest Baptist Church. To all of our guests, we'd like to welcome you and thank you for worshiping with us. You could have worshiped anywhere you wanted to, but by God's grace, he allows you to be with us. So I pray that the songs and the testimonies and the words would impact you in such a way that you will leave this place transformed, changed, never to be the same because of the grace of Christ. Well, this morning we are headed back to our series on why on earth is the church. So if you would, turn with me in your, in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one under the seat in front of you, or there may be some in the back. But if you would, grab a copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Matthew, the 28th chapter. We'll be reading verses 16 through 20. And if you would, out of honor of the reading of God's Word, please stand if you are able to do so. Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning with verse 16. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon the text before us this morning. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. You know, talking with my wife the other day, 
It was interesting. We have come to the end of an era. The end of an era has come. When I heard news that Toys R Us was closing down, I said to my wife, it's like incredible that something as big and as uh, amazing as Toys R Us would actually shutter its doors. This is, this is an end of an age. Think about that. Growing up, one of the greatest joys as a child was going to Toys R Us. Think about all the memories and, and think about all the toys that you received and as parents and grandparents, see, not parents, as grandparents, all them toys that you buy constantly, it's all of those memories. And I think about all those memories. And, and, and as I think about those memories, just as soon as I, as I think about those memories, I think about the catch line. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. And singing that, that, that tagline has been seared upon our hearts and minds as a reminder that in every one of us, there's the desire to be a child. There's the desire to not have the responsibilities of life. There's the desire of just wanting to play all day. Can we be real? Sometimes, sometimes you don't want to do nothing. You just want to play all day. But when we think about Toys R Us shuttering its doors, when we think about that, that tagline, as much as we want to play all day, we can't be a kid all day. You can't play all day. You can't do what you want all day. And there is a moment where you have to grow up. There's a moment where the toys get put up and the toys get packaged away. There's, there's a moment in everyone's life that you have to start growing up. And beloved, too often in the church, we can be a place marked by a desire not to grow up. Too often in the church, we see the signs of immaturity going on. And I'm not talking about us for us. I'm talking about them other churches. But, but, but uh, the signs of immaturity, you know, those, uh, the, the ease of frustration, the lack of patience, the selfishness, the laziness, the irresponsibility, the rudeness, the lack of cooperation, the, the lack of accountability, all of those characteristics that we would attribute to someone who is immature, unfortunately, they manifest themselves even within the body of Christ. But, beloved, the end of that age must come for believers at some time, at some point in our lives. Even the Apostle Paul, he, he addressed this issue when, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, where he says, for, for when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. He said, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. At some point in the Christian life, we got to grow up. No longer demonstrating Childish immaturity, we have to grow up in Christ Jesus. But, beloved, this doesn't happen on its own, does it? 
Just as a child is taught and, and trained and discipled, so we too must be taught and trained and discipled as the body of Christ. So it, it, it's time to start adulting, and it's time to begin discipling. You get that? See, see in, in adulting, that, that new catchphrase, that word, that we don't like to be adults because sometimes those responsibilities are just mundane. Like, who really just likes taking out the trash? Like, for real. Who, who likes doing that? But, but, as adults, we do things that need to be done even if we don't like doing it. So within the church, there's that moment where we need to begin to disciple one another. Why? Because the mission of the church is to make disciples for Christ. That is the mission of the church. And for Christians, we need to understand when we look at this text that discipling is the process by which we become mature as Christians. In this discipling, that is the biblical process of helping others to follow Jesus. That's it. Discipling is the biblical process of helping others follow Jesus. Now remember where we've been and where where we're coming. In this text, Matthew the 28th chapter, verses 16 through 20, we see the mission statement for the church. The mission of the church is to make disciples for Christ. We talked about the role of evangelism. And we talked about the role of of you being a gospel witness on the job, the the role of you going and and, and teaching the word of God in order that people may come out of darkness and be rescued from the pit of hell because of the good news of Jesus Christ being applied to their life. There's a moment where we have to make disciples. You got to tell somebody about Jesus. We, we, we make disciples, but then once we make those disciples, once they, are, uh, once they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, now we mark those disciples for Christ. And we talked about that with the way that the church marks disciples for Christ is at once a person makes that profession of faith, they are, they are baptized in affirmation. A declaration that they are not ashamed to be identified with Jesus Christ. But then also it's an affirmation of the church to say, we affirm that this person loves Jesus. A person is marked off as a Christian when they take the Lord's Supper. See, that's why, that's why, don't don't just get up and come today. Don't come out of tradition. Don't, Don't come because you used to come as a kid. Come out of your love for Jesus Christ today. That is what marks you off. I love Jesus not 10 years ago. I love Jesus today. Church membership is is what marks off and says to the world, I belong to Jesus. But the culmination of that process, we make, we mark, now we mature disciples for Christ. The process by, uh, by which we become like Jesus more and more. Remember, what's God's purpose in your life? Romans uh, Romans 8, 29, to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And I I don't know about you, but I I, I don't think I'm getting there, but I don't look like Jesus exactly today. So the sanctification process, the pursuit of holiness, that is the maturation process for the follower of Jesus Christ. So that's where we are today in the text. And what I want you to understand 
this is Jesus speaking to his disciples who established the church. And what he wants us to see, listen, is disciples, disciple, disciples. That makes sense? Disciples, those who, who name the name of Jesus, who say they're followers of Christ, they actually disciple. They engage in this process of maturation for not just themselves. See, see, that's, that's the issue sometimes. We only worried about us. We only worried about the word that I'm going to get on Sunday. We only worried about, about God blessing me today. But God did not create you just to receive his blessings. He, he created you to be a disseminator of what he has given unto you. So disciples, disciple, disciples. That's what he's saying in this text. And here in verse 20, we have what I call the formula. The divine formula for spiritual maturation and the interruption of residual sinful patterns in the life of the believer. That's what's taking place right here. In verse 20, Jesus is giving us the divine formula for spiritual maturation and the interruption of residual sinful patterns in the life of the believer. So, so, so what, what does that mean? Jesus has given us a blueprint on how people should grow in Christ. He's given us a pattern on how we should grow up. Just, just like a child, you would, you would work with a child, and you would not just give a baby junk food, right? You wouldn't just give them anything, but you are mindful uh, about where they are in their developmental process, their age, and then you would feed them accordingly based upon what they need. So that's what we are doing when we are discipling others. We don't come to someone and say, you need to do X, Y, Z. We come to someone and say, now where are you with Christ right now? Where do we want to be? All right, this is how we're going to get there. And in the Christian life, because we have been rescued, we have been set free from sin, Romans 6, we are no longer enslaved to sin, we're actually free from sin. sin. Sin no longer has a rule and reign over the Christian heart. But the residual effects of those sinful patterns of our life keep us in sin sometimes. The discipling process begins to break up those sinful patterns and habits. Like you used to talk like that, and you kind of still talk like that on a job. But, 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 but what holiness does and what uh, discipling does, it begins to break up and says, no, you don't use your tongue to cut somebody down, but, but the word of God actually says you, you use your tongue to build people up. You're breaking these sinful patterns. So the big idea for today that we're working with and we're going to work through is that we, the church, the body of Christ, Mature disciples for Christ by teaching towards obedience to all that Jesus has commanded in Scripture. I say that again. We mature disciples for Christ by teaching towards obedience to all that Jesus has commanded in Scripture. We're gonna we're gonna break that apart. We're gonna walk through that to see what the Lord has in store. See, understand, see, discipling. It's the impartation of knowledge 
for the purpose of obedience. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to know him in order that we would obey him. So the first thing that we see in this, in this big idea is that we teach. Verse 20. He said we, we make disciples, we mark disciples, and we're here in verse 20, teaching them. We teach. See, th throughout Jesus' ministry, it was full of miraculous signs. Jesus, he, he walked on water. He, he, he healed the blind. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the lame. He gave the deaf hearing. He, he cast out demons. He broke bread and multiplied it so that 5,000 would eat at one time. So when we look at the, the gospel narrative of Jesus' life, we see miracle after miracle after miracle. But, but understand, the miracles were there to validate what he was already teaching. Jesus had a teaching ministry. That was his primary purpose, to come and to teach. Turn with me to Mark, the first chapter. She'll be right over to the next page. Mark, the first chapter. In verse 14, this account gives to us, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He's he's teaching the word of God to the people and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He's, he's come preaching and teaching the gospel, the good news about what God is doing through him. He, he's teaching the masses and the people. As a matter of fact, look down to verse 21. This is it's, it's more blatant right here. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, this is Jesus, he entered the synagogue and was what? Teaching. Verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So we see Jesus' ministry is a teaching ministry. He didn't come just to make you feel good about yourself. He didn't come just to give, uh, to, to, to pass out things to make people feel good. But he, he, he's come to teach so that their minds would be renewed and they would be transformed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And here in Matthew, the 28th chapter, Jesus is passing along this teaching ministry to his disciples. And throughout the rest of the New Testament, in Acts and the epistles of Paul, and, but, uh, we see that Teaching is taking place. The apostles are teaching. The elders of the church are teaching. But beloved, ordinary folk was teaching. Folk, they, they ain't been to seminary. They ain't got no Bible certificate. But they were teaching one another what thus saith the Lord. And understand Forest Baptist Church, this this ministry that has been given to the apostles has been given to us. This ministry now belongs to the church. This is why Paul can quote in Colossians 1 and 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that what? That we might mature them in Christ. So Paul is saying the preaching and teaching that's taking place 
within the body, within the church, is so that Christians would become mature believers of Jesus Christ. So when we think about the church, beloved, at any given time, teaching should be taking place, both formally and informally. So formal teaching, that would consist of uh, Sunday school, things like worship service, uh, community groups, uh, the Men's Institute, the, the Women's Institute, there are formal ways of teaching that, that we engage in and we become a part of. Because why? Because the ministry of teaching belongs to the church. So, that, so formally, teaching comes from, from pastors and, and Sunday school teachers. It comes from wise leadership. So that, there is this formal aspect of teaching that we take part in most Sunday mornings. I mean, I would argue one hour on Sunday morning is not enough, though. We'll talk, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. But teaching should also take place informally. Not just at Sunday school, not just during worship service. But teaching should take place when our lives rub up against one another. There shouldn't be no dichotomy, no, no division between my church friends and my world friends. Our church friends should be our friends. So as we are engaging with one another, teaching should take place informally. Just that, that, That's why the imperative says, go therefore. That, that word means as you are going along in your life. It doesn't say just Sunday morning from 9 o'clock to, to 1 o'clock. As you are going through life, we are to be making disciples of one another, teaching one another. So there, informally, as my life rubs up against yours and your life rubs up against one another's, we should be teaching one another, both actively and passively. There should be times where we, as friends, we, we say, hey, let's, let's read the scripture together. What is God doing in your devotional life right now? What scripture have you memorized lately? Those are questions that we should be asking one another. See, but everybody's scared to ask because we ain't doing it. So we need to start doing it actively. There, there is this formal, active discipling that must be taken. This is, this is not the great suggestion. This is the great commission. Those who belong to Jesus, you, it, you are to do this unless we find ourselves in sin and disobedience. So it, it, there's an active discipling, but then there's a passive. And what, what, what does that mean? That means sometimes we're just going to hang out. And I'm gonna, just going to let you see my life. And you're going to let people just see your life. Just let, let you see how, how you work in a, a secular environment. How, how do you take care of a husband and wife to the glory of God? How, how, how you interact with your children and grandchildren? Just, they, they, people should be in your life just to see what, what, what Christianity looks like. That's a form of discipling. What going on? We, we can't continue with the American lie that you don't let people in your business because Satan lives in that lie. And as long as you can keep your business to yourself, then Satan will rule and reign all over your life because when, when Satan thrives in darkness, 
He thrives in secrecy. If don't nobody know about your life, it's easy to get caught up. And we know that. That's why we don't tell people our business. We don't want to be held accountable. Ah, that's contrary to scripture. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's pernicious. It hurts you in the end. So Jesus is giving us this ministry of teaching, both formally and informally. And what we so what we must understand and realize, uh, I, I mean, I, I wasn't taught this, but we actually have to understand that the local church should be the central hub for learning. That's crazy. The church should actually be the main place where you are being taught the word of God. Now, I, I, I close the back door on that and say that that, that that doesn't give parents the out of not training and teaching their children. Because we're clearly commanded that. But what I'm saying is we actually gather with one another to be taught, to learn, and then we take it and we implement it and we share with other people. So the church is actually the central hub for learning, not the TV. Not T.D. Jakes. No, T.D. Jakes is not your pastor. Joel Osteen is not your pastor. And you shouldn't be listening to Joel Osteen anyway. I'm just going to say it. I mean, if you want to be motivated, if you like kind of sad, you just want somebody to cheer you up. But if you, if, you, if you want someone to deal with your sin, don't listen to Joel Osteen. So TV is not enough. Podcasts are not enough. You can get podcasts of any church these days. Your favorite pastor in Philadelphia, in Texas, in California. Praise God for the technology. But you know, it's a supplement to what's going on on Sunday morning, Sunday school, community groups. And beloved, as smart as you are, guess what? You ain't smart enough to teach yourself. And I'm just going to say it. We have to actually humble ourselves to understand, I can't teach myself everything I need to know about the Word of God. And it takes a, 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 a spiritual humility to say, I need to sit down at the feet of Jesus. Under, see, understand, when Jesus institutes the church, in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the body of Christ, right? And the body of Christ are all these different members. We have the, the eyes and the ears and the hands and the legs and the feet. So, 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 when we think about the body of Christ, we're actually talking about the church. So when we think about sitting at the feet of Jesus, then whose feet should I be sitting at? The church. If we're the feet of Jesus, we need to, to, to get in together to understand, to learn, to dissect the word of God together. So what Jesus is saying here, really, the primary job of the local church is to train, not entertain. The job of the church ain't to get you hyped so you can leave out excited. Because we know how our emotions, you know how you do. You come, you oh, they sang my songs today. Oh, pastor preached the word today. It was exciting, but what he preached about, I don't know, but it was good. And then Monday morning, 9 o'clock, 8 a.m., it hits you. That old mean boss, that nasty co-worker. How, 
traffic on the highway. Somebody short shorted your paycheck last Friday. You got to have some words for somebody on Monday morning. See, emotional highs will not keep you through the week. Emotional highs will not transform you from the inside out. So it doesn't matter how sweet the choir is. It doesn't matter how many backflips the preacher does. The church is here to train and not entertain. You are not consumers at a movie theater looking for a show. You are the people of God looking for Jesus to show up and to transform you. We fill up in order to pour out. But why? There's a why. There's a why. We teach because sin has rendered us ignorant and immature to the will of God. Sin has so hindered and hampered us, it has so affected our minds and our bodies and our thoughts. Sin has actually rendered us ignorant and immature to the will of God. What, what do I mean? You know, in, in, in the culture, and I've talked about this before, just how biblically illiterate we are as a, as a people, as a nation. And you actually have to tell people, like, stealing is a sin. We actually have to tell people sex outside of the covenant of marriage is a sin. They don't know. We actually have to tell people that, that you are being prideful when you dominate a whole conversation. When you're only talking about you, you're talking about your weekend, you, talk, you are being sinful because you got to have the last word. We have to teach that. There's a level of ignorance that, that we don't want to come as Christians like, oh, everybody, everybody know you ain't supposed to be living together. No, they, we don't know. There's a level of ignorance that God just, he cuts away when you come and you hear the teach word of God. When you open up your Bible and you study it, ignorance just falls off. And, you know, sometimes I pray, I pray, I pray that sometimes when you look at scripture, Jesus will hit you with something. You're like, oh. Well, I didn't know that. There should be moments in your life where Jesus exposes your blind spots. And he uses the people of God to expose your blind spots. That's ignorance, but then also there's immaturity. Sin has caused us to be immature. This is where you know better. God, you know the word of God. You knew what the Lord said about the situation, but you do it anyway. That's just spiritual immaturity. And the Bible talks a lot about spiritual immaturity. Let's, let's, I'm teaching. I'm teaching right now. First, the, First Corinthians 3. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. First Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 3. Watch. He says, I'll wait. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. 
for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul is saying that when you are immature in Christ, you're going to behave a certain way. There's going to be jealousy and strife and issues. Now turn with me to Hebrews to the right a little bit further. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. I start with verse 11. And the writer of Hebrews says, And this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is what? Unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a what? A child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Look, look at that. He said the way that you're going to discern, understand good from evil, you, you got to actually, actually practice. Lastly, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 1 through 3, the Apostle Peter says, so now notice the correlation between immaturity and sin. You wondering why you sin so much. You wondering why they sin so much. So put away all malice. And all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What are the scriptures? The scriptures are showing us that sin has rendered us ignorant and immature. And whenever we get to the point that we think we ain't then we have fallen into spiritual pride. Because scripture also tells us that there's not a moment that we are never growing in holiness. There's never a moment where you can say, well, I've actually arrived. There's ne See, there's not a moment. We think the Christian life is that you're dealing with a sin and that you just become victorious over that sin and then you just move to the next sin. No, the Christian life is the understanding that though God has given me victory over this sin, I could fall back into that at any time. So I, I, I can't just sit and coast. I have to be pursuing him actively every single day. That's how we receive victory. Or that's how we obey. So, so my challenge is teaching is taking place here. Are you willing to learn? Are you showing up to worship service consistently? Not just if you show up. Are, are you showing up consistently Sunday after Sunday? Are you taking advantage of Sunday school? 
Are you taking advantage of the men's institute? Are you taking advantage of the women's institute? Are you taking advantage of the community groups that meet on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday throughout the city? Beloved, one hour on one day of the week, it's not enough, not enough spiritual sustenance to keep you. You can't eat a diet full of the world Monday through Saturday and expect change from one hour on Sunday morning. This is why we gather and we are taught. What teaching ministry are you a part of? So Jesus says we, we teach, but not only do we teach, we teach towards obedience. Because it's, it's, it's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to do what you're supposed to do. In verse 20, he says, teaching them, them, the, these disciples that have been made, to observe, right there, to observe. Observe is just a fancy word to obey. To do what you're supposed to do. In high school, I had a, I had a basketball coach. And we've heard that old adage, practice makes perfect. He would never say that. He would always drill us. He would say, perfect practice makes perfect. What, what, what he wanted us to understand is, I can practice mashing these keys all day long. I can spend 15, 20, I can spend an hour a day for the rest of my life mashing these, these keys to the piano. But I'm not going to learn how to do it right unless I practice properly. And we can show up Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, Saturday after, we can sing in the choir, we can, we can do all kinds of things. But until we actually sit down and listen and obey the word of God. We ain't learning nothing. We ain't growing. We can actually fool ourselves. That's what, that's what James 122, he, see, we stop at the first part. James 122 says, be not hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. But then it goes on, so that you are not deceiving yourself. We can be busy being around the teaching of God, but never take part in the teaching of God. This is who Jesus encountered in his, in his day, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they were deceiving themselves. They were the religious elite. On the outside, they, they, they were at all the prayer meetings. On the outside, they were doing the fast. On the outside, they looked like they had it all together. But Jesus showed up and exposed their hearts as whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look good. But I, I know about all the drama going on on the inside. I know your struggles. I know your issues. I know uh, how you're dealing with the chaos in your life. That's because you're trying to act like everything's all right. And everything's okay. This is why scripture says obedience is better than sacrifice. We don't just hear and teach and learn the word of God. We obey the word of God. Because obedience is actually a sign of spiritual maturity. Where the head and the heart actually are married up together. Because the goal of discipling is transform lives. So what we learn here is that we teach towards obedience because our default is disobedience. Ain't nobody got to tell you how to do wrong. And 
Ain't nobody got to tell you, oh, you should go off on them. No, that, ain't nobody got to tell you that. Our default is sin. But only Jesus Christ brings transformation. So my challenge to each and every one of us today is that we, we model obedience because partial obedience is actually disobedience. Think, think about your school assignment. The teacher said, I, I want a 10-page paper on such and such subject. This is Friday, and you got to do it over the weekend. And it's due on Monday. And you show up on Monday with a seven-and-a-half-page paper. Is that obedience? Are you going to get full credit on that assignment? Then why in the Christian life do we think halfway obedience is actually obedience? Live in a way that others would see your life and give glory to God in heaven. Let me wrap up. We teach towards obedience, but then lastly, we teach towards obedience to all Jesus' commands. So just as important as being taught, obeying what is taught, we have to be mindful of what is being taught. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, Jesus doesn't just commission his disciples to teach the truth. He wants his disciples to teach the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And only Jesus' words are truth. When we look in the world, it's full of lies. Jesus' word is what cuts through the lies and deception of his word, of this world. John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. For what? Your word is truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing what? The word of truth. Now turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. The Apostle Paul lays it out like this, beginning with verse 11. And he, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, and until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Everything that, that, that Oprah is saying, everything that the viewer is saying, everything that Dr. Phil is saying. By, by human cunning, that's pragmatism. Well, it worked, didn't it? No, but it was sinful. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. Always trying to get your hustle on. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the command. That is the challenge. We don't, we don't just learn stuff. We learn the right stuff. And the right stuff is what comes from the word of God. 
The truth of Jesus replaces all that subjectivity in life. All the, the changing times. The, the, the world is changing. We see how the world is changing. What, what used to be bad is called good, and what used to be good is called bad. But so how, how do Christians stand up in a world that's ever-changing? We stand upon the unchangeable, the immutable word of God. We teach towards obedience to all that Jesus commands because we live amongst lies. See, that's why we teach and preach the whole Bible of God here, the whole counsel of God's word. We, we, we don't just pick a, a, a catchy subject. We don't just show up and preach about Wakanda because it just, it just came out. No. We, we take books of the Bible, doctrines and passages, and, and we teach through them. Why? Because it's not about what we feel. It's about what God wants you to know. It's why after this series, we're, we're going back to the Old Testament and walk through the, the whole book of Habakkuk. But we study the entire Bible because all of the Bible is good for God's people. So my challenge, examine where you're looking for truth. Who is teaching you truth? Who do you believe more? We teach towards obedience to all that Jesus commands. We teach towards obedience to all Jesus commands. Beloved, discipleship is violent. It's violent because you are taking the truth of God and you are attacking the lies that, that, that we've just been following just because. And there, there's going to be that moment. It's violent because you have to cut off some stuff. You, you don't get to play with sin like it's a pet, expecting it not to bite your head off. You have to be violent, and you have to gouge out the eye and cut off the hand. Jesus talks about that uh, in a hyperbole, talking about the drastic measures we have to do to get rid of sin. If, if you'll, Jesus can, can easily flip it. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So today we can say, if your smartphone causes you to sin, get rid of it. And if your homeboys or homegirls draw you into sin, don't hang with them. See, see discipleship is violent. You're going to have to change. Either you're going to continue to be a stooge for Satan or a saint for Christ. There's a decision that we have to make. Will I be like everybody else or will I be like God's chosen people? I have to say, Lord, I only want you and what you desire for my life because you have the blueprint for holiness. And, and Lord, and like Peter and the disciples said, and when he, when he said, uh, will you go to? Will you leave to? We got to be like the disciples and say, Lord, well, where are we going to go? Lord, only you have the word of eternal life. Only, only you will deliver our souls into the hands of Christ God. It's violent. But we mature disciples for Christ by teaching towards obedience to all that Jesus commanded. Disciples Disciple, disciples. Who are you teaching? Who are you learning from? Quickly, practical steps. Some practical steps for us to, to do this here at Forest. Prayerfully select someone willing to learn. Prayerfully. 
Again, we've talked about this before. Prayerfully, not somebody who looked like they got it all together anyway. Like it's going to be easy. But, but, but we prayerfully look around our sphere of influence and say, Lord, who do you want me to do life with? And the key is someone willing to learn. There's a whole lot of folk that just, they, they don't want to listen. These are, these are the know-it-alls. You can't tell them nothing. Okay, I'm, I'm leading to the Lord, because I'm sure there's someone out there who's willing to learn. But then also, we, 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 gotta, we just got to make time. We, you, you too busy. You too busy. We have to have designated times in our calendar where we commit to doing life with someone. We, we need to do life formally and informally to impart this wisdom. But then, in discipling, one of the keys in discipling is we need to delegate and give assignments. Like, we actually have to expect something. We, we give an assignment. Hey, I want you to read this. I want you to memorize this. And then let's, get, let's come back and talk about what the Lord has done. That's accountability. That's responsibility. It's the information of Christ that will lead to transformation. But at the end of the day, even after all attempts at teaching, at learning, we still fail. We still fall short. And it'll be easy to leave here to say, well, I'm just going to do better. That's a lie. You won't do better. Because you can't do better. Because do better only comes by grace. That's why we teach grace. We teach the fact that our lives are broken. We teach the fact that we don't get it right. We teach the fact that our acceptance before God doesn't come from my ability to obey. We teach the fact that it is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that I have my acceptance on high. And when I repent and turn towards Jesus Christ, that he accepts me not on my behalf, he accepts me because of the life, death, resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And, 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 we're, and we are, are, are bathing ourselves in grace. So when we fail to disciple, when we, we fail to be disciple, there is grace. By grace, we not only, we all not only look to Jesus' example, by grace we partake in Jesus' example. But grace can only work when we recognize our brokenness. Grace only works when you know you need grace. One text I love to quote is John 3.36. That whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know what that text is teaching unbelievers and all of us? That you can say you love Jesus, but your belief is actually demonstrated by your obedience to Jesus. You may be here today and you're, you're, you think you have it all together, but really on the outside you look good, but on the inside you know you're broken. You know you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You know you live how you want to live. There must be a moment where you understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that only Jesus Christ can save you. But then for the believer, we, we stake our hope upon Jesus Christ alone. 1 John 1.9 says that, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our iniquity. So guess what? When we do fail to do what God calls us to do, we get on our knees. And you know what we say? We don't say, my bad. We don't say, oops. We don't say, I made a mistake. We say, Lord, I have been sinning against your will. I have been disobedient. Please forgive me. Help me to do what you have called me to do, to be a disciple and to make disciples. And when we do, grace takes over. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these rich truths. And I ask that you will make us a disciple-making church, that we would make, mark, and mature disciples for you. Father, for the one who is here who do that love you, I ask that you would penetrate their hard, stony hearts, give them a soft heart ready to receive, knowing that, knowing from today's teaching that they are separated from a holy God because of their sin, and only through Jesus Christ is repentance towards you for their sin and their trust in Jesus Christ alone. It's only through that that they can be saved. And Father, I ask that as your people, that we would be obedient. Convict us, Lord. Convict us. Show us how we fall short of this. Show us that our pride and our selfish ambition and our immaturity and our ignorance is keeping us from making disciples. Convict us and burden us, Lord, that we would make disciples within this body of Christ. For your glory and namesake, we do pray. Amen.